Greetings, puny humans. This is Morbo, the newscaster. I am pleased, yet sticky, to tell you that you are listening to the power of positive geeking. I will destroy you! Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Power of Positive Geeking right here on the Feeding the Monster podcast feed. My name is Corey Morissette, and uh, today uh, we are bringing back one of our most popular guests. He is the most popular man on the Internet. It's John Mariano. How are you doing today, John? Oh, I'm doing well. I, I more than appreciate that intro. I feel there were a lot of lies there, some lies detected. But I am very happy to be joining you today to talk about this movie, this sport, this season, Let's let's have at it, Corey. Let's that's a that's a tease, folks. We have some big things coming for you in the show, but I'm not the host here. Corey is the host. I'm gonna let him tell you all about it. That is professional broadcaster John Mariano with the uh, perfect uh, radio tease for you. Uh, yes, we do have a this sport, this movie, this uh, show here that you're listening to exists to help promote movies like this. It was not popular when it came out. Uh, it's got a whopping 59% on the old tomato meter. Uh, Metacritic has it as mixed reviews. Uh, it only made $29 million, but uh, it's a real gem of a movie that I really love. And it's the uh, last film uh, currently directed by Ivan Reitman. And it's Draft Day, starring Kevin Costner as the uh, uh, general manager of the Cleveland Browns, Sonny Weaver Jr. And uh, uh, quite an interesting draft day for him. And uh, I, I just watched this movie again last night, John. And I, I watch it at least once or twice a year because as a giant football fan, uh, th- this movie really speaks to me. I know you're a big football fan too. Uh, maybe tell us about how did you get into football? Uh, who's your team? Uh, all that kind of stuff. So, so much, much like you, Corey, I am a giant football fan. I, um, back in 86, 87, I was nine, 10 years old. And, and uh, the New York Giants living in, living in New York were all the rave, right? Like people, the, the Bears were the big defense the, the, the season before. And here comes Lawrence Taylor, and he, here comes Carl Banks. And my Lord, they just rocked everything. Phil Simms was the man at the time. Um, this is the team I fell in love with. Um, follow that team, fo- follow, followed um, Bill Parcells, Bill Belichick at the time. It was a defensive coordinator. And, and followed and loved all of these players, all of these coaches. My brother grew up a Buffalo Bills fan. Fast forward to the Gulf War, 91, Super Bowl. Um, Jim Kelly and the va- vaunted Buffalo Bills are there to stop my Giants. And they don't. It goes a little wide right. And inspire, Scott Norwood inspires Ace Ventura, Pep Detective. That's not why we're here today. <laughs> but we are here because I do love the Giants and I do love football very much. So how about yourself, Corey? Uh, almost the same story uh, up here in Canada. Um, NFL really started to take off in about 84, 85, uh, thanks to the Super Bowl shuffle and the Chicago Bears. And it seemed like everybody loved the Chicago Bears. Now, uh, when it comes to myself, I tend to steer away from the most popular thing. Like when Wayne Gretzky was an Edmonton Oiler and all everyone in Canada loved the Edmonton Oilers. I went to the Detroit Red Wings and I cheered for Steve Eiserman. Uh, when everybody fell in love with Hulk Hogan uh, around WrestleMania 2, 3, I, I went to Roddy Piper. I went to his biggest nemesis, and I became a Roddy Piper fan. And when it came to football, uh, everybody jumped on the Chicago Bears bandwagon because they had that uh, vaulted defense in 85, just won the Super Bowl, Super Bowl shuffle, that big video. And I went to the, to the New York Giants, and uh, it was mainly Lawrence Taylor. And uh, I remember uh, when Lawrence Taylor broke both of Joe Theismann's legs on one hit. 
and he visited Joe in the hospital after, and Joe said, Lawrence, what are you doing, man? You both broke my legs. And Lawrence Taylor said, I don't do anything half-ass. And, and that's kind of when I fell in love with that whole mentality and that mindset. And I'm, I'm, I'm a defensive football fan. I coached uh, defense in high school. And um, that game plan, you talked about the 91 Super Bowl, um, master class in defense, the Giants versus the Bills. Actually, Bill Belichick's game plan currently resides in the uh, Football Hall of Fame because it was that good. Shutting down that uh, run-and-gun offense of the Buffalo Bills was unbelievable. Uh, and so I, I'm a huge football fan. I, I coach it. Uh, I, I watch it uh, every year. CFL, NFL, XFL, uh, don't matter. And so uh, if you're going to come out with a movie on draft day, I am all in, especially when it is uh, directed by Ivan Reitman. And um, let's talk a little bit about the plot of the movie here, John. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Kevin Costner plays uh, Sonny Weaver Jr., who is uh, uh, two years into his stint as the uh, – GM of the Cleveland Browns when he gets a call from the Seattle Seahawks, who currently hold the first overall pick in the NFL draft, which uh, if you're a football guy, the first overall pick is like gold. Like uh, you're, you're getting a, a bonafide future Hall of Famer at number one. Uh, Sonny is told by his owner that he needs to make a splash uh, this draft day. Uh, so he goes out and he trades uh, three consecutive number one picks uh, for the first overall pick, which in real football, uh, John, uh, ain't ever happening. Yeah, no, and I just want to I, I want to challenge that statement a little bit though, like about get, being guaranteed a bona fide Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah. I think part of Sonny's conflict here is that you're not guaranteed a, a bona fide Hall of Famer. Every, you know, all the paperwork and everything says this kid coming up that he's got to draft with this number one pick, or not Sonny at the time, but Seattle is a can't miss prospect. And we've heard this and we've seen this story time and time again. Um, and you don't know what's between the numbers, right? And and that's the thing. You can watch all the film in the world, and, and you still don't know what the makeup of a player is on any given Sunday, right? And that's usually a theme of football is on any given Sunday, Team A can beat Team B, no matter which one's the underdog or the overdog. And he, he, here we are. We're sitting on draft day, and these GMs are faced with this choice of here's this can't-miss player, and within the first few minutes of the film, he's up for trade, right? The, the pick is up for trade. Um, and, and we see very early on, not to spoil the film for anybody, but if you're li listening to this and you haven't seen it, why are you listening? Um, we're going to be spoiling. Very early on, Kevin Costner, Sonny Weaver, makes a trade for the number one pick. And the entire film takes place over the course of this draft day and the pressure and trying to understand what he got for this trade, like what this player is and what he could possibly also get if he doesn't stick with this player. Yeah, uh, uh, good call. I, I kind of misspoke when I said guaranteed because uh, like you said, you're never guaranteed. Uh, everyone thought Ryan Leaf uh, was a surefire Hall of Famer right when he was picked second overall by San Diego and it didn't turn out that way. Uh, so you're exactly right. But the odds are pretty good when you got first overall and an alleged uh, can't miss prospect in Bo Callahan. And uh, one of the things I liked was, um, you know, his his tape uh, was pretty flawless, uh, if you listen to the scouts in the film and, and stuff. Uh, but uh, they started digging a little deeper. You know, character concerns are a big thing in the NFL. Um, you know, was there something there? And you're right. It is a lot, a lot of pressure. You gave up uh, three number ones, which uh, in the NFL is is your future because uh, you got to restock the shelves with number one draft picks. And uh, to give up three to get number one. Uh, it is a very big deal. And you can tell almost immediately he starts having buyer's remorse, right? He, he calls the Seattle GM and says, uh, why'd you make that trade? Uh, well, he, he's, he's also the GM of the Browns. And I guess for any of our non-sports fans here, 
um the the browns are kind of like a movie studio that just keeps putting out bombs or or, or isn't making their money back in these terms, you, you could probably, and I'm not trying to stir controversy here, but you could compare them to something like Warner Brothers that puts out the DC films and is putting all their money into that and not getting the return on investment that they're making. Um, you can make the arguments on why that happens, and it's the same thing with the Browns. The Browns seemingly are investing in top-tier players most of the time, but the results aren't there on the field. Um so, so here he is, um, Sonny Weaver, with the weight of this franchise and this city that's looking for a win. Um, I believe this film took place before LeBron brought the championship to Cleveland, right? I believe so, yeah. So, so, so this part of the story is that Cleveland, and to give people a movie perspective, back in 89, a little film came out called Major League about the Cleveland Indians that we, the Indians were picked as a franchise because Cleveland – in all sports, hadn't seen a championship. Fast forward to this film, you, you, you know, 15 years later, 20 years later, and, and it's still the same story, right? Um, the, the city doesn't have a championship. So Sonny Weaver now has this weight of 50-plus years that the, the city hasn't seen a title of any sort, and he has to make a pick to try to give the city hope. Um, yeah, no, that that is a a big uh, a big thing in this film. And fun fact, actually, it wasn't originally going to be the Cleveland Browns as the main team is going to be the Buffalo Bills. Oh, that would have been interesting. Which also would have kind of worked because Buffalo, of course, had that early run in the '90s where they went to four straight Super Bowls, uh, never won any of them, and uh, have kind of been uh, you know uh, bottom dwellers uh, ever since. Not only that, but the last ten years or so, Buff- Buffalo, the rumor has been that Buffalo is a very big team in Buffalo but doesn't draw a lot of fans because it's not a huge population in the area. Um, the thought has been to try to move them to Toronto for quite some time mm-hmm. and, make, and make them a Canadian football team um, because of the population and, and the draw of the team and figuring that some of the Americans will cross the border to go support their team. Um, so Buffalo being a, the primary choice makes a lot of sense to me just because of where they were at the time. I do like that they chose Cleveland um, for all the reasons, right? Um, including the fact that even now, years after the film, the Browns are still this same story, right? We're still waiting for this draft pick to save this franchise. Yeah, and it hasn't happened yet. Uh, uh, for, the reason they picked uh, Cleveland over Buffalo is because it was cheaper to film in Ohio. So, I mean, <laughs> thematically, I mean, it works with either team, but you know you got to save your pennies because they did shoot uh, in the uh, stadiums uh, and offices of these real franchises. So, yeah, no, there was a lot of NFL support for, for this movie. You could tell because of where they shot, the logos they used, um, Chris Berman, the ESPN, like the whole draft day um, look and feel and sets of the actual, not, I'm not just saying draft day for the film, but draft day for NFL draft day, mm-hmm. they were using those sets for this movie. Um, you could tell it feels very authentic. When when Kevin Costner goes for a walk on the field, he's not walking on a set somewhere or some high school field. He's walking on the field. It's shot in this in the empty stadium, and you get that feel. And that's one of the things I love about this film is how authentic everything feels. 
No, that that's a good call. And uh, going back to the story, uh, complicating matters because it's always complicated in the NFL when you're talking about rosters too. Is okay. I made the number one pick. The uh, conceit is I'm going to take uh, this can't miss quarterback, but I have a quarterback named Brian Drew uh, who hasn't been able to stay healthy. But all of a sudden, you know, he's you know uh, benching 250 pounds and he's squatting 400 pounds and he's getting himself in shape. He's the best shape of his life. He's an eight-year veteran. Uh, he fits in their system. So why are you going to trade for a quarterback when you've got a quarterback? So that kind of complements matters. Also, there's the uh, player he wants to pick, uh, which is Vontae Mack, a, a middle linebacker, um, who uh, look, he was going to take at seven. Uh, a good kid, a uh, great football player, but not one you want to take at number one. So there's all these factors uh, kind of factoring in into what he's going to do with the first overall pick. And of course, he has uh, his head coach played by Dennis Leary, who came over from the uh, awful uh, Dallas Cowboys. Uh, where yeah, he, he's kind of got a he, he seems like a, a Dallas coach where like he inherited the Jimmy Johnson Cowboys then ran him into the ground that sounds familiar because that actually happened in real life so he's in one ear you got your scouts in the other and he's just trying to make sense of it all at the same time his girlfriend uh, lets him know that she's pregnant so he's trying to get that going to and his dad just died so it's really kind of an eventful day for Sonny Weaver I just want to clarify something for our audience because normally Corey is is a beacon of positivity but being Giants fans, both Corey and I, I want to point out to the audience, we have an inherent bias against the, the Washington football team, the, the Dallas Cowboys, the Philadelphia Eagles. All those teams can go screw themselves. Um, that's just the way it is. If you don't like it, you can either tune out or, or just not hear the words we're saying about those franchises. But, but it's our fault that Dennis Leary is the – a former coach of a terrible, hideous, horrendous franchise. That's right. Uh, all apologies to Jeff Saunders. And you can tell uh, directly modeled after Barry Switzer because Barry Switzer took over uh, from Jimmy Johnson, won one title, and then ran him straight into the ground, and they haven't won anything since. So Barry Switzer slash Dennis Leary, uh, very much wanting a, a running back, uh, not a high-priced quarterback. He hates rookie quarterbacks. So all these factors really kind of beaten down on Sonny Weaver while – other teams are calling him either a looking for a trade for Brian Drew, looking for a trade for number uh, the first pick overall, um, and it's I love this kind of frantic energy to the film and the way it's edited uh, kind of led leads to that as well. But um, even if this isn't enter- entirely realistic, this is what I kind of hope NFL front offices operate like on draft day. How about you? Yeah, no, I I feel like my one criticism of the film is there are aspects of it, specifically the, the, the Jennifer Garner, Kevin Costner storyline, that feel a little bit too soapy for me. I wanted a straight sports story drama. I, I get why it's there. I, I understand it. It feels kind of pigeonholed in this film. Um, and that's going to be the only criticism you hear me say for the day. It does add to some interesting drama later on in the film, but I could have done without it. Um, as for As for Dennis Leary's character... It's not just that he likes veteran quarterbacks, but being a head coach the way he is, he's always on the hot seat, right? And and there are a lot of head coaches like this that don't want to groom their quarterback. They want to have their system and just have the quarterback that fits their system. So that way the wins and losses are based on their game plan and not how strong an arm is or what a quarterback can create on the fly. Um, you you have um i believe it's tom welling is is the quarterback the veteran quarterback right yep, so yep. you 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 have clark kent superman he he still projects that charisma 
that attitude. Um, there's one point where he he completely thrashes Sonny Weaver's office as a diva quarterback would, and not just a diva quarterback, but he's also a quarterback who's working very hard coming back from an injury and gets the news that they're going to draft this quarterback because they have the number one pick. Um, and, of course, he's upset. So we get to see some of that drama. And even though this might be a lot of drama over several weeks playing out over the course of a day, to Corey's point, I believe, based on the news stories we see, there's a lot of authenticity in what we're seeing on the screen, just in it maybe a more condensed period of time. Yeah, you always have those external factors. And uh, while I, 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 I get your point about the the kind of love story, um, it maybe not being needed, I, I do also like how they incorporated it because uh, it seems like every time he's trying to have a conversation with her, then somebody's knocking on the door saying, oh, Brian Drew's trashing her office. Uh, oh, you know, uh, Coach Penn, uh, you know, is burning a, is a scouting report or, or, or something silly. So it's always kind of kickstarting it into something else. Uh, to me, the emotional heart of the story could have been the relationship between him and his dad, who had just passed away. And maybe you don't need the love story. I agree with you there. Uh, but they had the two. Uh, it didn't really bother me as much uh, as, as maybe it bothered you. Um, so now we're uh, we're on draft day. We're getting closer to the actual event. Everyone is convinced that Bo Callahan at number one is the way to go, uh, except for uh, what his security uh, guy for the Browns who had dug up some information. Uh, the main point being that nobody came to Bo Callahan's 21st birthday party. Uh, none of his teammates did. And maybe there's a, a character concern there that, that has Sonny uh, kind of thinking twice. Uh, there was that. And then there was, um, uh, I guess, uh, one team would send playbooks out to their uh, top five picks uh, for them to read through. And they taped a $100 bill in the playbook. And um, some of the people mentioned in a phone call after mentioned seeing the $100 bill and some didn't. So that's the way they could tell that nobody read the playbook. Uh, not only did Bo Callahan not read the playbook, but he doubled down on the lie on a follow-up call. So there's now there's character concerns on Bo Callahan that's clouding uh, that pick even more uh, to the point where now we're at the NFL draft and we really have no idea what Sonny Weaver Jr. is going to do here. And uh, I like it when a movie can kind of surprise me like that. Yeah, I also like, you, you know, one of, the, one of the things that they allude to, they don't allude to, they just state it. Sonny Weaver's father recently passed away. So Sonny Weaver has the, the, the drama of dealing with, with the death and responsibility of his father passing, his overbearing mother trying to pay tribute and, and, and deal with the father's death on this day, while Sonny has all these other factors going on. Um, we hear about stuff like this a lot too, where real life does trickle in. And maybe to your point that that does support the, the drama going on with the, the love story a little bit is that it does add these real life elements into his decision-making and shows how it's not just logic, but emotion that's driving Sonny over the course of this day. Mm -hmm. And especially now when we get to the pick. Uh, so let's talk about uh, draft day. He's got the first overall, the owner of the franchise flies to New York uh, with a Bo Callahan jersey in hand. And um, what does Sonny Weaver Jr. do? He picks uh, Vontae Mack, uh, the middle linebacker, the kid he wanted to draft all along. And he gets in the war room as the pick is announced. Everybody's freaking out, screaming at him. And you have that nice moment where he just drops this little post-it note. We see him right at the very first scene of the movie. He writes something on it and he folds it. And we don't know what's on it until the very end. And, and on it is written, uh, Vontae Mack, no matter what. So that's who he wanted to pick. We have a great scene actually with him and Jennifer Gardner where he's talking about just once, I want to see a team I put together compete on the field and, and see how well they can do. And uh, Vontae Mack was his pick from the start. 
Uh, so he essentially uh, wasted three number one picks at this point in the film because he could have got Vontae <laughs> Mack at seven. And so kind of conflicting feelings as the audience, right? You're happy he kind of got his guy, but geez, what are you going to do with these number one picks? And then draft day really kicks into another gear. Yeah, and, and what's, what's interesting is if this happened in real life, and I know, I know we suspend disbelief in all of this, right? But should this have ever happened in real life, this would be the end of, of this GM. Like, yeah. <laughs> the, j- just so the audience knows, there's no planet that a GM gets away with playing this fast and this loose on on draft day. But it's fun, it's interesting, and the predicament it creates for the remaining... Because I remember watching the film the first time and going, how much more movies left because he made the pick? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my, oh my. Because we're, we're like, what, what, halfway, two-thirds of the way through the film at this point? Mm-hmm. And... and there's a lot of the movie to go. Um, I don't have everything in front of me. It was Frank Langella plays the owner, right? Yes, that's right. Right. So, so Frank Langella plays this very boisterous. I want, I want to, I want to put my best foot forward and get to egg on his face, flying from Ohio to New York and then back to Ohio over the course of this movie as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, um, which would be a death knell for any head coach. The head coach, not the head coach, but the GM wouldn't see the end of this draft. No. Right? And Costner convinces him that, you know, just let me show you how this plays out. It's like he's always had a plan in his head, even though he's been playing fast and loose. It's like, I'm going to show everybody, including my father watching over me, the metal I'm made out of right now. No, you got to get that moment where he's like resigned to his fate that he's going to get fired as soon as the owner gets there. But then something uh, kind of interesting happens so that Bo Callahan starts dropping. And we've seen this in real life. You look at a guy like Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Green Bay picked him in the 20s uh, in that draft. So Bo Callahan slips to two and then three and then four. Uh, and then Sonny Weir was looking at it like, you know, Denver's at five. They're not going to pick a quarterback. Who's at six? ahead of the Seattle Seahawks, it's the Jacksonville Jaguars, led by a rookie GM. And I'm so happy they picked Jacksonville for this because they've been a mess of a franchise for a decade now. And you can just see them with the rookie GM panicking. You know, here I've got this potential, the scouts say, all-pro quarterback dropping to me, but everybody's passing on him. What's wrong? And he's starting to panic. And so Sonny's able to take advantage of that, trading three years of number two picks, second-round picks, which is still a pretty big haul, uh, for the sixth overall, uh, which the Jacksonville Jay, he pressures Jacksonville into taking. So now Sonny picks at six. Seattle, who has all of his number ones, picks at seven. And he's able to call Seattle and say, everybody wants your head for trading first overall. You can get your quarterback now. All I want is all my draft picks back. And uh, you have this wonderful uh, shift in power uh, where uh, Seattle is now on the hot seat and panicking and Sonny Weaver's holding all the cards. And it's things like that, I believe, in the NFL happen all the time. And this was a great moment in the film. Well, and what's great is, like, they, they also go go into, like, how, how the fans are protesting outside of Seattle. And, and they're, they're, like, burn, burn, burning the coach in effigy. And, and it's showing how fans and fandom can drive – a franchise, you know, I, I brought up at, at the top of this, you know, Warner Brothers in DC, and we've seen fans change things. We saw fans change Sonic the Hedgehog on Twitter recently. And, and this, you know, kind of foreshadowing because a lot of that stuff happened after this film came out, but it saw how social media and fandoms have been driving stuff. 
and, and shows it through the lens of football, right? So, so now you have this GM in Seattle who gets torched for making this trade and losing their quarterback that, you know, all the radio shows and everything were promising were the next big thing. And they're the only franchise that had a hunch that something was wrong. Right. Which is why they're like, and they, I, I, I don't think it's clear. I don't think they knew exactly what was wrong. I think they just knew there was something not right and it was too risky. Let's see what we can get for this. And they took a haul from a desperate GM at the top of the thing. And, Two thirds into the movie, that flips. Now, now they're on like a, a what is it, a fifteen minute clock in football, right? Ten, I think it's ten. ten. Yeah, yeah. So, so they're on a ten minute clock, where, where, where you, you know Sonny's holding them over the coals, and the clock's ticking, and it's almost in real time at this point. The movie's playing out, and, and they're they're really building the tension up with with Sonny holding this, and it's a, it's a phone call. It's so brilliant and. One of the things that we haven't talked about yet is the cinematography mm-hmm. in this movie. Um, it plays almost like a comic book where, where the the screen will slide in half and, and we'll get like two panels um, and, and they'll grow and shrink based on who has the power in the call. You, you know, there's a lot going on to give more weight and to build the drama and the tension and show it visually for something that is could have been just a very stagnant movie where it's just like, here's person A, person B talking, and, and everybody's kind of on an equal playing field. It's showing the sliding dynamics throughout the movie. Yeah, and we'll talk about Ivan Reitman in uh, that in just a little bit. Um, so uh, here we have Seattle. Just when they're ready to take uh, the deal, uh, Sonny Weaver wants all of his number ones back in exchange for pick number six. Uh, he says, oh, that offer's now off the table. Puts him on mute and asks the room. Who else do we want? And who they want is David Putney, uh, special teams ace. So now not only is he going to get his three number ones back, but he's getting David Putney, uh, special teamer as well. Kind of that player to be named later, kind of that little dig with the knife, right? Like, oh, the uh, offer's off the table. We live in a different world than we did 30 seconds ago. Now you got to give up this player as well. Uh, Seattle, of course, takes the deal. They take Bo Callahan at six, and now Sonny's back on the clock at seven. And we didn't talk about it one player yet, John, but uh, – Ray Jennings is the uh, uh, running back who uh, Coach Penn really, really wanted at number seven. That was that would have been his pick. He, I need one running back, to, and my offense is all set. Right. Uh, now here they are at seven, and he looks and Sonny could look at his coach and say, "Who do you want? Oh, I want Ray Jennings. He's Cleveland royalty. His dad played in Cleveland. It's like, all right, make the call." So now he got his linebacker he wanted, the running back that his coach wanted. And he's got a rejuvenated uh, Brian Drew at quarterback who's been working his ass off to get back into shape and uh, ready to kick some ass the next season. So not only that, but this is the first time we see Dennis Leary's character excited in this movie. Like, the entire movie, he, he's very cynical. He, he's very doom and gloom. And all of a sudden, this is the first time we really see Sonny, Kevin Costner, and Dennis Leary coach and GM on the same page. Everything, all of a sudden feels like a cohesive team. Um, you, you know, it's, it, it's almost Kevin Costner's way of saying, I've been listening to you this whole time. You don't think I've been listening. I couldn't show my cards, but here they are out on the table, and you and I have been in lockstep since the beginning. Yeah, and there, there's a great uh, 
moment when he's talking to Jennifer Garner Sonny is and he says I, I got to figure out a way to work with him and it kind of dawns on him right like hey if we could pull this off I can get him the player he wants uh, you know and get on the same page in, in terms of the roster which is important because the GM of an NFL football team builds the team a lot of people think the coach has uh, has a lot of say in that but they don't it's actually the general manager's job to put the talent on the field it's the coach's job to coach them but they have to be in concert with each other they have to be able to agree and, and disagree and otherwise you get a really fragmented situations which we've seen play out in the NFL uh, forever um, so now we have uh, Sonny comes to terms with uh, his mom uh, with his girlfriend uh, all of a sudden the owner is happy because they had a, they made a big splash on draft day they improved in a few different areas and uh, all is right with the world uh, great great story especially for football fans but even my wife who's just kind of a casual football fan really loved the uh, the, the politics involved with the uh, teams and how they deal with each other, how a, a GM deals with his owner, how the coach deals with the GM. Uh, and really, getting, even if it's uh, kind of far-fetched, gives you an idea of how the workings of an NFL football team actually work without having to watch like a season of Hard Knocks or something. So for casual uh, fans, as well as diehards like John and myself, uh, definitely I would recommend checking this movie out. Oh, I, I, absolutely. And, and like, I, I think in the last 10 years, my two favorite sports movies are this and Moneyball. And Moneyball gets all the hype. And I'm not here to bash Moneyball. I adore Moneyball. Um, I've used it as a fantasy baseball strategy um, since its inception. Not, not not just the movie, but the actual strategy Billy Bean incorporates in that movie. Um, I feel like this is the better movie. Yeah, And I'm not saying that any slight on Moneyball. Moneyball deserves every accolade it gets. Mm. Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill are phenomenal in that movie. Um Chris Pratt as, as Shane Hattieberg is, is incredible. Top to bottom, that's a great movie. This movie more so makes me feel like I'm in the room for the sport, right? Um, and I think that that's what does it for me, is that it's not just giving me the lens of the GM. It's giving me the lens of the coach. It's giving me the lens of Jennifer Garner's character, who's in charge. We haven't talked about it. She she's in charge of, of the um, the, salary, cap. Like, uh, salary cap. Thank you. Um, and, and that's a huge thing in football. You know, you know, baseball doesn't deal with a salary cap. An owner might impose a cap based on um, their finances, and if they hit a certain threshold, they have to pay a luxury tax. But it's not like football. Football has a hard cap. That you can't pass and managing that cap and that cap, cap room and that cap space goes into a lot of strategy of the gms and of the franchises in general and we get to see that on all aspects top to bottom from the coaching staff to the players to to, to the front office to, to to even like i think we see field managers at one point they they talk to the trainer about the quarterback about tom welling's character they talk to the trainer at one point to see how his arm's doing to, to, to know what's going on. There's all these little facets and nuances. This film hits all those notes. Uh, that's a great point. And actually, uh, for diehard football fanatics, that's a turning point in the negotiations with Seattle for the sixth overall pick because Sonny Weaver reminds him, now you can pick Bo Callahan for $7 million less on your cap because there's a big difference between being drafted number one and number six in terms of what you're paid. So I, I forgot all about that point, John. Thank you. Yeah, that's actually a big moment uh, for Seattle saying, hey, we can get our guy and save $7 million because you hear uh, the uh, the president or whatever uh, telling him like that kind of uh, solves our cap problems 
we can take Bo Callahan and pay him $7 million less. Apparently they were right up against the cap. So uh, things like that happen in football all the time. And I would agree with you. Uh, you say uh, uh, Draft Day is a better movie than Moneyball. I, I definitely think it's the more entertaining film because Moneyball is kind of, uh, you know, because it's based on a true story, uh, there's certain things uh, that they, they can't do to stray from that true story, whereas Draft Day is fictional. Uh, you know, they, they can write whatever the heck they want and, and, and make it more uh, dramatic and more entertaining that way. Whereas when you're telling a true story, uh, you're, you're kind of bound to the facts uh, of the film. So um, I love Moneyball as well, but I would say Draft Day, a much more entertaining film. Yeah, I think it's more entertaining, but I also feel like as a, as a sports fan, I feel more connective tissue to, to what's going on. Even even though Moneyball is based on a real story and has the real drama and is re, you know Brad Pitt's portraying Billy Bean, who's an actual GM in, in, in baseball, the forget about the real life stuff. The actual decision making process, I feel, is, is truer to the sport here. And not only that, but but this trade that Sonny swings with Seattle, um, it's a turning point in a movie that's very rare where everyone comes out the hero, right? Like, Sonny mm-hmm. gets his picks back. You know, you could argue he he wins the day. But 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 the Seattle, the, the Seattle GM, to your point, because he's now spending $7 million less because of decisions he's made, is also a hero in his, you know, newspaper the next day. He's on the back page of the paper. They're touting the $7 million he saved on Bo Callahan. That's the story. The story mm-hmm. isn't what moved with draft picks we got our player we got our player at seven million dollars less this man's a hero until you know seven interceptions are thrown on a day and then people people's heads roll yeah and that's how quickly he can turn in the nfl right Uh, that's the best pick the best move you ever made until he goes like one and three and then it's like all right fire the gm fire the head coach cut the quarterback all that kind of stuff all right john let's talk about the cast a little bit uh kevin costner of course plays uh sunny weaver jr uh here's a bit of a hot take i think kevin costner's movies are sports movies uh you, you got bull durham you got for love of the game you got tin cup and now you got draft day uh, what do you think of uh, mr costner so so while i enjoy mr costner i feel like one of the reasons why i missed this movie in theaters was mr costner yeah i i, I, saw, I saw a sports movie coming out with kevin costner i'm like oh I've seen that before, right? <laughs> right. Um, for, for the love of the game is one of the most underrated sports movies, um, and I almost missed that one, right? Because I'm tired of seeing the man make sports movies, <laughs> and, and, and he, here here we are, and Kevin Costner is again the face of a sports movie. I'm like, I can miss it. I, I caught this one on an airplane, traveling traveling across the country. And it was nice because for me, it was an intimate setting with, you know, a hundred or so of people I don't know, but everyone's watching their own thing. And I have my headphones in, I'm in my seat. I always sit by the window. So I'm leaning against the window. I was going to take a nap and I was hooked from the get go. Um, you, you know, Kevin Costner for all, all the crap I just gave him, he's, he, he's like an old standard. He's like a journeyman, right? Like, um, if we want to do the quarterback comparison, he's Trent Dilfer, right? And this movie <laughs> it, is that Baltimore Ravens team that decimated our Giants, right? Yeah. All the parts are in place, and you just need somebody to to not throw a pick and to be a stabilizer. And that's what Kevin Costner is to this film. 
Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And uh, uh, big, I'm a big fan of Kevin Costner in sports movies. Uh, like I said, I think that's his best work. Uh, and, and he's great in this movie. And the supporting cast around him, uh, the one word that comes to mind is solid. Everybody's really solid. All the football uh, players playing themselves are good. All the ESPN and NFL Network guys like Rich Eisen, uh, Chris Berman, they're all great. You look at uh, guys that uh, we've come to know later on, uh, but we're kind of new to film in this time, like uh, – you got guys like David Ramsey, who made a name for himself on the TV show Arrow. You've got a young Chadwick Boseman uh, as Vontae Mack uh, in this film. And then you've got a, a great supporting cast. You look at people like uh, Jennifer Garner, uh, Dennis Leary, Frank Langella. Sam Elliott has a great scene. He's only in one, but he's fantastic. Uh, Ellen Burstyn, uh, really kind of a solid cast all the way through. And uh, uh, that's a, a trademark of an Ivan Reitman film. And uh, like I like to say on the show all the time, if you cast your movie well, you've done 80% of the work. And uh, to me, Ivan Reitman uh, accomplished that here. Yeah, and, and the, even to your point, you, you know, we don't see Sean Combs in a lot of movies, Puff Daddy. Mm-hmm. And Sean Combs comes in as, as the agent, right? And I think he does a, a very solid job for what he needs to do. You know, he's Bo, he's Bo Callahan's agent. He's like the hotshot agent. And, you, you know, the few scenes he's in, I feel like he's this very slicker than life. You know, he's essentially playing himself character. But, but you know, it enhances the film. It, it adds to wh- wh- when he shows up, you understand that who this guy is as an agent, right? He's supposed to be like a, a stand-in for like a Scott Boris type, right? Mm-hmm. Um an agent who thinks he's bigger than the game, who's going to get the numbers he wants, who, who gets all the top players signing with him and gets them the highest amount of money. And, and you know that simply by, by Combs' presence here. Um, Dennis, Dennis Leary playing this type of head coach, you know, this was a lot of, oh, they're playing into their strengths, right, for a lot of these characters. Mm-hmm. And, and I think for me, for me, what didn't add a lot of interest in seeing the film because I could kind of see the film at the top. I didn't realize how much heart and how, how much, how much authenticity this film would have until I watched it. No, that's a good point. And back to your uh, Sean uh, P. Diddy Combs uh, point. Yeah. He is playing that, that kind of slick agent who gets all the, the number one picks and stuff. But after Bo Callahan is not picked first overall, he kind of throws a little temper tantrum and runs out in the alley. And you would think that the agent would be more upset than anybody, but he's like, look, this happens all the time. I need you to come back inside because teams don't want to draft a quarterback who panics. Like, so he even has a little bit of a wherewithal about him. Like, okay, that happened. It's out of there. I just lost 7 million bucks in commission or whatever. Now let's refocus and get this kid drafted, hopefully in the top 10. So uh, even though he is kind of that swarmy agent, a little bit of a little bit of a brightness and a little bit of heart in there too, at the end, which I really appreciate it. Yeah. All right, so uh, let's talk about the uh, production values now, and uh, let's start with Ivan Reitman. You mentioned the visual style of this film, John. I'm, I'm a big fan of that as well, uh, just the way it was edited, the way they use those wipes, like you said, uh, the changing dynamic uh, as the power structure changes, and he really keeps this movie just moving at a very brisk pace. It's a, just a shade under two hours, but it moves really, really fast, uh, kind of like life would on draft day for these GMs. Yeah, I look, this might be a bit of a hot take and I'm a huge Ivan Reitman fan, but I feel like draft day is some of his best work. You you know, from, 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 from a dramatic acting standpoint, from, from, from a pacing standpoint, from, from, from 
a, a framing standpoint as well, right? Like, like the way the scenes are framed, there's not a lot of action in this movie. A lot of it is tension and a lot of it is conversation. And the way he makes the film feel like it is an action movie by the way he moves and handles the frame, I feel speaks to his wizardry a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like I love Ghostbusters. It's it, it's in my top. We've talked about that before. It's in my top like five, ten favorite movies of all time. I would if I had a movie fight. Like what is Ivan Reitman's best work? I would probably pick Draft Day. It's not really a hot take, John, because I would agree with you. Um, as a filmmaker, I agree this probably is uh, his best work because, like you said, you're, you're you're taking boardroom scenes and and scenes with two characters talking in a supply closet and making it dynamic and making it interesting. You're making phone calls dynamic and interesting just by the way he plays with the frame, and uh, you know even these wonderful uh, uh, passovers that we get of the cities as they're talking about it, like uh, Buffalo. You get that great shot coming into Buffalo Bill Stadium, uh, old Ralph Wilson Stadium. I'm not sure what they call it now. Uh, and he does that for for every team. And uh, it's wonderful and it's dynamic. And it really just keeps this pace chugging along. Whereas uh, other films, uh, you could say are maybe better films like Ghostbusters or you maybe enjoy them more. But his work as a filmmaker, he's at the top of his game here. And he has not directed a film since, which I think is kind of a crime. Yeah, but I think that if, if there was a note I was going to go out on, this is a this is that type of note, right? Um, he has a storied career. Like you can go look at on IMDb at all of the great films Ivan Reitman's been a part of over the years. And towards the end of a career, we usually see actors and directors go out on bad movies, right? Like go look at like Sean Connery as an example, yeah. right? Right? Um, or, or not their best work to have Ivan Reitman, if if he does in fact call it a career after this, um, and it feels like it might be because you know Jason Reitman's taking over the Ghostbusters franchise, and I'm excited about that. Um, if this is, ends up being the last film in a storied career, I don't think that Ivan Reitman has anything to worry about. No, I totally agree. And I'm just looking at his IMDb page right now, John, as we're talking. Uh, he only has uh, two movies in uh, in pre-production. Uh, one is called Summer of Love, and one is the twin sequel uh, called Triplets. So uh, that's been in development hell for quite a while. I don't know if that one's going to happen, but he does have a couple of credits in production. Hopefully we'll see one, uh, if not both, because I'm a huge Ivan Reitman fan. And now, uh, John, uh, that is not the last note you get to go out on, because on this show, as we do every single time, great movies can always be made a little bit better. And what better way to improve your movie than by casting Bill Murray? So, John Mariano, my good friend, if you could recast any role in this film with Sir Bill Murray, who would it be? So so this is a really important call because this reunites Bill Murray and Ivan Reitman. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, as of right now, puts Bill Murray in Ivan Reitman's final film. So the role is really important, but also, as we've talked about, it's a very tight film that you don't like. I thought about this and I absolutely love Frank Langella in that role. You, you know, I, I've, I mentioned the love story before I considered pulling Jennifer Garner out, but I don't want to because I like a woman in that role. Even if I were to get rid of the love story, Jennifer Garner would still be the call on who's playing that role. Mm-hmm. So when it came down to it, it had to come to somebody I don't like in this movie. And there is one, Corey. His name is Roger Goodell. (laughs) (laughs) 
and and there's a couple of reasons why. Like I I just look, I'm not a big fan of commissioners in general. Um, Commissioner Gordon, notwithstanding, most other commissioners I can do without. Um, Goodell being one of them. I think that Goodell's had some rulings that for me have bothered me in watching this movie, having that baggage with me. I also feel having Goodell as the commissioner in this movie dates it, right? Where, where if Bill Murray were playing a fictitious version of Goodell, it, it could be kind of timeless. The other thing it adds is the commissioner being part of the draft itself, there's not a lot of tight dialogue there. It's kind of, you can kind of tell Goodell, they just kind of said to Goodell, go do your announcement. So imagine if you could play that fast and loose with Bill Murray and you, you would only need him for a day because it's one set, he's on the draft set. And you can say to Bill, you know, go to do like eight takes on what you got to say by the microphone, can them all and go run with the best one. Like to have that kind of freedom with Bill Murray, I think enhances this movie just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. No, I, I actually almost thought of that myself too. I thought he'd make a pretty good, or even like Bernie Kosar for that one yeah. scene that Bernie Kosar's in. Let's have Bill Murray <laughs> do that. I even thought, you know, how about uh, Ray Jennings? Uh, who was played by Arian Foster. I never knew that actually until today. Uh, uh, former Houston Texans running back Arian Foster plays uh, Ray Jennings. Uh, there's so many little roles you could plug him in. I agree with you. You don't want to take Frank Langella out of the owner role. Uh, so we're going to leave him there. Uh, for me, uh, what the hell? I'm going to give him the lead. Let's have him be Sonny Weaver Jr. I want to see him in a relationship with Jennifer Garner. I want to see him negotiating uh, with, with players and with other GMs. I thought, you know, he'd be really good as the general manager of the Seahawks, but he's only in a couple of scenes. I need more Bill Murray in an Ivan Reitman movie so i'm giving him the lead let's get rid of kevin coster and let's plug him in as sunny weaver jr you, you know i agree with you on almost every point you made okay <laughs> i also think that it makes it more charismatic and interesting i would have seen this in the theater if he was the lead of this film where i don't agree is i don't need to see a made december romance with with jennifer garner i just don't need to see it <laughs> i would be fine if if we take your movie and she's dating like bill murray's son right and, and that would be fine by me, too. And she's like the daughter-in-law, and they have that dynamic. But I don't need to see creepy Bill Murray da- dating Jennifer Garner in this movie. It's creepy enough that she's dating Kevin Costner. Oh, it is. It is. It took, <laughs> that, that almost took me out of the film. So, so, so there's my commentary on that. But, Corey, I think I have to agree with you. Of, of our two picks, as much as I want to see Goodell out of this movie – um, having a charismatic Bill Murray in that role, seeing Bill Murray play off of Langella, seeing Bill Murray pl- play off of Leary. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. Think about those possibilities. Think well, about how that's why I yeah. Yeah. I settled on that pick just because of the interplay with him and Langella and Dennis Leary, especially. Uh, so, John, that's uh, our little take on uh, uh, draft day. Uh, you had mentioned uh, we talk a lot of football. I think we're going to talk some more football uh, coming up in September. Maybe let's tell the folks about that. Yeah, we Corey, Corey and I have, have a show coming up where we're actually going to talk in a serious manner, serious-ish Ish. manner about, about football. It's called Backdoor Cover. Um, we're gonna we're gonna give you our picks. We're gonna talk a little gambling. We're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about about the games coming up. We're gonna give it in the context of games that might have happened, um, but it gives us a chance to talk sports, which Corey and I. It's one of the things we bond over. It's one of the things we love, and we're hoping to share it with you guys and gals. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Just a little insight uh, from uh, from John and myself uh, into the games of the week. We're going to have a little competition as well. Who could pick the most winners uh, against the spread as we go along? So that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, check that out uh, right before week one of the NFL season. And now I'm going to take a deep breath because we're going to talk about all the shows you can catch right here on Feeding the Monster. <gasps> Every Monday, we have the Hooten Holler with Hillbilly Scribs, which is a, a great little 10-minute uh yuck fest to start your week off uh, on Tuesdays. Um, I guess every other Tuesdays, uh, starting here pretty quick, we're going to have our main show, Are We Wearing Pants, that John and I are both a, a part of. And that's a heck of a lot of fun, especially uh, this last one I, I was a fan of, especially. Uh, every other Wednesday, uh, Mark Kamire is on the feed with uh, Rantings of a Maniac, which John just appeared on, actually. A great episode on uh, Godzilla and uh, what we have coming up with Godzilla versus King Kong. So uh, go back and check out that podcast. It was a lot of fun. Uh, on Thursdays, you can catch this show right here, The Power of Positive Geeking. Uh, we always have a bunch of great guests and great movies coming up for you on there. On uh, Fridays, we do our commentaries. Uh, we've been going through some uh, TV uh, pilot commentaries that have been a lot of fun. And, uh, of course, our latest film one. Uh, John, maybe uh, tell the folks about that one because this was uh, probably my favorite commentary that we've ever done. So, so, so the guys made the mistake of putting me in charge, and we talked about the story of Ricky O, which, which is a, a martial arts film from the 90s and it's a very over-the-top gore fest um the guys weren't prepared for what it was and i hope you guys listen along i hope you i hope you watch the movie too because it's one of my favorites i highly recommend watching along to that commentary because there's a lot of times where we just go oh because something really gory and unexpected just happened and it's really really a magical experience watching uh, ricky O. so i recommend that to everybody uh friday nights uh, mark kamire also does the friday night dive uh, hasn't happened in a couple of weeks, but we're hoping to get that back uh, going here pretty quick. And then on Saturdays on the YouTube channel, uh, we do uh, the Truly Bizarre World with Hillbilly Scribs. So you want to check that one out. And lately on Sunday nights, uh, we've been doing uh, Are We Wearing Pants Live, uh, which has been uh, kind of fun. Uh, like I said, uh, I think we're going to dial back on that one a little bit. But uh, whenever you can catch us on Are We Wearing Pants Live, I highly recommend it because you kind of come be uh, come and be a part of the show. And you can support our Twatch channel, our, uh, our, our, su our Super Kicks, whatever the hell it's called. Um, you know, all sorts of ways you, you can support the feed, the patronizer, of course. Um, John, anything else you want to talk about before we head off here today? Oh, you know, you know this is going to be in the future, but I'm actually going to try out a new show tonight called Margin Doodles. Um, Corey, I think you might help me with it. I'm not really sure what it's going to be. I got to be honest with you. I just felt like going live and turning the mic on and seeing what happens. So um, if that went well, I hope you guys enjoyed it. And if it was a complete uh, crap fest, I hope you guys also enjoyed it because that's what we do around here. I am really looking forward to that. Uh, that we're going to be taping that here tonight live. Hopefully we get a lot of interaction. And uh, hopefully as you listen to this in the future, we're still doing that show because I think it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. More John Mariano in the world. That is my uh, mantra. And on behalf of John Mariano, my name is Corey Morissette. We want to thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you next time on The Power of Positive Geek. My name is Thor Odinson, the Asgardian Hammer, and I want to be your attorney. Has the year 2020 got you down? Are you tired of saying hashtag Grr Mondays every Monday? Well, then my legal advice? Tune in to the Feeding the Monster podcast feed every single Monday and catch the Hootin' Holler podcast 
and I promise it will get you the smiles and the laughter that you deserve.